Well, good morning. If you uh, would not mind taking out your outline from your bulletin, you'll see that this morning we are talking about overcoming storms of loss. I have been reading a few of the stories from our book, FBC Stormwatch, Navigating Life Storms, in uh, many of our messages that we've been doing here on Sunday mornings. Let me read to you one um, that's uh, a tough one. Most of them are tough because they've had storms of loss in their life, but this one is especially a difficult story. Many of you know uh, Rock and Kathy Seitzma. Rock teaches our uh, Eagle's Nest Sunday School class. And uh, let me just read you a little bit about his story that he wrote um, on his own, published in this book. I'll read just bits and pieces, and I'll actually share some parts of the story throughout the entire message. But here's the beginning. It says, as adults, we too often measure the value of our life by our accomplishments. On my spiritual resume, you would find someone who dutifully attends church. I not only attend church and teach a Sunday school class today, but have led youth groups, sang in the choir, and provided leadership in the church in the past. But all that can lose its meaning when the doctor says, finally, concerning your 26-year-old daughter, we've run out of options. Your daughter has maybe four or six more months to live. Rock writes, certain dreams would now go unfulfilled. Certain memories would not be made. And particular joys would not be experienced. The door of hope was now being closed. And he asked an honest question that each of us would probably ask in that moment. Where is God in all of this? That's the same question that we're going to talk about today that is asked by a man in the Bible by the name of Job. And so if you have your Bibles and would like to open them up to the book of Job, you go about to the middle and then go back to your left, just a bit, a couple of books, and you'll find Job. Specifically, we're going to be asking the question, um, how do we survive those storms of loss when those storms really don't don't make sense? I mean, we, we probably can make sense of some things in our life when things happen to us or, or evil happens or trouble happens to us when maybe we see it brought upon ourselves or maybe we see, well, because they did this, then this had to happen and this happened and this happened. But what about those times when it seems there's no rhyme or reason to it? No reason for what's taking place. That was the question that a man in the Bible named Job had as Job said to God in Job chapter 30, verse 22, these words. He said, God, you, you lift me up on the wind. You make me ride on it. And you toss me about in the roar of the storm. How do you handle life? How do you overcome those storms of loss that many of us have engaged in our lives and Some maybe have not as much of others, but we all will experience it sometime or another. Overcoming the storms of loss is the story of Job. And so if you found Job in your Bible, let me just kind of set the history of Job. Job's a story probably as old as history. 
In fact, many scholars date Job as one of the oldest books in the Bible as the story was passed down to oral tradition and then to written tradition and recorded for us by the biblical writers in the biblical form that we have today, which which really tells me that people have been dealing with this loss, dealing with this storm of loss since people began, since, since, since the Garden of Eden, or Adam and Eve even experienced that loss in their lives of an intimacy with God from the sin that they chose. And so the storm of life is really universal, which, you know, some of us need to hear that message for even something that may have happened this very week. Maybe it was a relationship that you've lost now, something that happened this past week or month. Maybe it was something within a marriage or a loved one, or maybe your health or loss of a job or loss of a dream. And, and truthfully, as I've said before, if you're not going through a storm of loss now, we all will, we all do. Either we are just entering into one, we are in one, or we're perhaps just exiting one, but the storm of loss is universal. And we probably want to shout, why God Why is this happening now? Why is this happening to me? Especially when it does not make sense. Because that's where Job really enters into the picture. He he, he came at this from a sense of, you know what, even though Job comes to realize that he may not understand the storm of loss, it didn't make sense to him, he needed to come to that place of saying, okay, I will trust the one who holds the storm. I will trust the one who can hold the storm back. I will trust the one who can bring the storm about. But I will trust him. And I will overlook the storm and look to that one who holds that storm. And so in Job chapter 1, and I'm just going to kind of summarize a few of these verses as we enter into it. We're introduced to this man of Job who, who is righteous before God, it says. And also one of the greatest, I believe it's in verse 4, um, one of the greatest... Um, uh, in all the East is this man by the name of Job. And the story, though, really begins and gets interesting after we're introduced to him in a very unusual setting. In verse 6, we see God and Satan talking. And God is talking up his servant Job. And Job says, you know, God, um, he really only loves you because you've blessed him. I mean, you, you, you take away his riches, and I bet he will curse you, God. He loves, he loves the loot, not the Lord. That, that's what he really is about. He loves what you've blessed him with. He really doesn't love you. When he suffers, he'll run. And for whatever reason, God says, very well, I will allow this to happen. And while some of us might get caught up on, on why God allowed Job to suffer in this situation, that's really not the point of this exchange. The point of this exchange is that Job doesn't know why these things are happening throughout the story, but God in his infinite wisdom is still in charge, he is still in control, he still holds the future, he still brings us through it, God is in control. God is some 70,000 steps above Job in his ways, and Job will never necessarily understand why he's going through what he's going through. Job would suffer, and he would have to face life without the answers and with the explanations in life held back But the question was, would Job hold on? And really that question comes to us as well today. As this scripture dialogues with us, 
would we hold on to our faith in the midst of that kind of a storm? And so in Job chapter 1, we see that the storm of loss comes really in a literal storm as a disaster overtakes him. It overtakes Job's home. It overtakes all of his children, all of his business. It brings disease unto his body as well. In fact, the only thing that is not taken from Job is his wife. And honestly, that would have been a blessing in the midst of this story. Okay? I mean, I mean, you got to understand this. Can you, can you just see this? You know, Satan, I'll take his home, I'll take his health, I'll take his kids, I'll take his wife. No, wait, wait, wait. Let's leave his wife. Leave the wife there. Because her advice to God, or excuse me, her advice to Job, you know, we all know what it was? Her advice to Job is, would you just curse God and die? Just get it over with. Just curse God and, and, and be done with it. But here's Job's now famous answer that we have known. If you know something about Scripture and Job, here's his famous answer that he gives. He says, though God slay me, I will hope in him. Though God slay me, I will hope in him. Now, watch this, because the verse does not end after the word him. That verse goes on, and it says the rest of the verse is really Job saying, But I do want to know answers. He says, yet I will argue my ways to his face. That was in the sense Job saying, you know what? I will trust in my Lord. I will trust in my God. Even though I do have some answers to ask God. Even though I will demand some answers from his face. Now, some of you may be looking at that saying, well, that sounds like he's venting. I mean, I mean you're, you're not supposed to question God, right? I, I, mean, I mean, what's he doing there? He's not supposed to question. You know what? Let me, let me give you a little bit of permission today. If you find yourself upset, if you find yourself angry, if you find yourself in a storm of loss and not being able to quite understand that, it's okay to vent at God. He's big enough to handle it, Okay? I mean, he knows what you're going through. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows if those emotions are a part of you. It's okay. I I give you permission to vent a little bit at at God. He can handle it. You look throughout Scripture, you look at some of the giants of the faith. Moses had his vent sessions with God. David had his vent sessions with God. You look at some of the, the prophets. Jeremiah had his vent session with God. Job had his vent session here with God. But what we can't get stuck on is demanding the why, why, why question. I mean, this side of heaven, we may not know why. And as I look around this sanctuary, I, 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 I know some of your stories. I know what some of you have gone through in this last year. I know what some of you have maybe gone through in this last decade. I've had the privilege of even walking alongside of some of you for 26 years. I I know some of your stories. And and they're hard. They're difficult. And we ask that question, why? And yet, rationale, truly, in many ways, does not satisfy. I mean, look at what Job's friends begin to say to him. Some of the answers that they give to him. And we'll look more at these in just a bit here. But some of the answers that they give to him. Job, you got sin in your life confess it to God, turn back to him, and, and, and you'll be fine. 
Another friend comes in and says, you know what, Job? You're a good man. You're probably just a little proud in who you are. And so this is God's way of just humbling you. And that's the answer he throws at him. And then you have the wife's answer. Remember? Curse God and die. Right? There's a great answer for you. There you go. But Job responds by saying, uh, thank you, but no. I I don't have unconfessed sin in my life. I've done my business with God. I I am humble before my God, and I will not curse him and die. And so if you read Job 1 through 37, that's some of the summary that you are going to come to. And then in verse 38, excuse me, chapter 38, the Lord answers Job. After 37 chapters of silence from God, actually deafening silence in many ways, God speaks in chapter 38. And how does he speak? Interestingly, out of a storm, God speaks. So in chapter 38, verses 1 through 3, let me read it. It says, Then the Lord answered Job, out of the storm. And he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. All right, what we're going to do here is we're going to take a little bit of time to kind of summarize some of what God is saying here. And so if you have your outline, take that out. The first feeling I wrote down there was this. God is saying here, um, let me be God. Let me be God. Job 41, 11. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I mean, if you really think about it, what does God owe us? Right? Nothing. What, what, what does God owe us? I mean, what, what do you think of God? What is your vision of God? What's your picture of God? What do we think of him? Some of you may be familiar with um, some of these, uh, let's see, what are they called? The glamour shots. If you've been like in the mall and you walk through the mall or you've been in someone's home and they have one of these shots up above the mantle or maybe it's on a piano and it has this picture of, of this person in there that, that could be you and you took it at the mall and you, it's kind of got this hazy fuzziness on the side so it's kind of like has this kind of allure to it. Maybe it's a woman in a nice dress and she's got like a, a boa over the top of her or you know, you kind of look like a model. They kind of did this shot and they kind of touch it up and make it real, look real nice. If you see some of those, see them in the mall, in the mall or, or, or in someone's home, they're, they're called those glamour shots. Sometimes they kind of make you look like a movie star, right? Well, I, I decided, you know, those are kind of interesting, so I would do my own glamour shot. And um, uh, do you mind if I share my glamour shot with you? Okay, that, that'd be all right? Okay, here is, uh, here is my glamour shot <laughs> that I took, right? Not bad, huh? Pretty good. It's, it's, it's Brad. It's just not the right Brad, right? Okay? Yeah, yeah. The, the point is, and I do have a point with this, all right? The, the point is, often we have this image. We have this glamour shot of how God should be, don't we? 
We have this glamour shot of, of God should be like Santa Claus. And he should give me what I want. In fact, Pastor Mike, you did in your um, uh, Disciple You class. You have a lot of these about what's your image of God. And some of us have this, this thought of God being uh, a Santa Claus type of a person or God being this genie. You know, if I just rub the bottle the right way, if we say things the right way, if we say so many Hail Marys or we hold the beads the right way, or we come and we bow before the Lord that he's going to answer in a certain way to us, And we have this glamour shot of what God is like. Think about that for a second. What's your image of who God is? But God speaks in chapters 38 and 39. And he says, basically, who are you to put me in a box? Who are you, Job, to talk as though I need to answer to you? In fact, look at some of the verses. Job 38. I'll put them up here on the screen. I'll just read them off the screen. It says, uh, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or, or who stretched out the line upon it? goes on. Another verse there. Verse 10, 8 through 10. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, from the, from the earth? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed, uh, prescribed, uh, prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors. In other words, who kind of put the sea into place where the sea should go and, and rolled it back to where it should be and where it should not be? Verse 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, Job? And cause the dawn to know its place. Verse 29 says, For who, uh, from whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of the heavens? The fall, the, the fall seasons that come, the winter seasons that come, the snow that comes, the frost that comes. Have you determined where that all goes, uh, Job? Verse 31. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or lose the, co- or loose the cords of Orion, the stars, the constellations? Have you put the constellations up there? Have you told them where to go, Job? I'm not so sure. Verse 35. Can you send forth the lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? And then in chapter 39, verse 19, do you give the horse its might? Do you clothe its, his neck with a mane? And finally in verse 26, is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings towards the south? And so he's giving Job all these questions. And the point is what he's saying here is he's saying, uh, Job, I'm God and you're not. Basically what he's saying, I'm God, you're not. In fact, if there's any of us here today, 8 o'clock service on, what are we, October 26, 2014, if any of us here have not gotten that point yet, let me do a little exercise with you. Okay, you ready? Let me try it first. Okay, here's how it goes. God, not. (laughs) Right? Would you try that with me? Okay, okay, try it. God, not. Not. All right, now some of you said that well, but maybe you didn't get the motions down. So let's try it one more time, okay? Ready? Ready? God, not. 
Okay, that is so important for us to know in life. Amen? That gives us a little perspective in all of this. In fact, you know, the, the truest way that I think this gets expressed is, is so often in our finances. I mean, I am so blessed that you are a church that is so generous and gives and blesses the Lord. And when that offering plate comes by, I think that is a prime example of us saying, God, this is yours, not mine. I mean, every week that goes by, God, this is yours, not mine. You're God. You gave this to me, not me. In fact, this happened in my life um, a couple months ago. Uh, we have, uh, we're on mailings of giving to some organizations and such. And one of those that Carrie and I give to is focus on the family. We love the work that they have done. And they were going through some budget type things. And so um, Carrie and I talked a little bit about giving to them. And, and we discussed, you know, how much should we give? And usually she, she will let me make the final decision. And so I, I picked a figure. I told it to her. And she said, oh, okay, all right, let, let's do that. And so, and so we gave. And I usually give online when I do that. And um, uh, I, I noticed about a month later that I guess it hadn't gone through or I, I hadn't given. And, and, and I scratched my head at that because I thought I'm usually pretty good with some of those details. And, and it did not get recorded there. And so I thought, well, you know what? If it didn't, I, I, I'm sorry and I must have missed it. I must have misplaced that type of thing. And so let me do that again. And so I went down there and I gave again and such. The very next day, the statement comes in that I had given it the first time. And so now I had given it a second time. And my wife walks into the room and I said, huh, look at this. We just gave twice as much as we were supposed to give. And she walks into the room and as she's walking, she just kind of says, huh, must have been what you were supposed to give to the Lord in the first place and just keeps walking out. Curse God and die, right? Huh? There's, there's the advice. All right, thank you very much. But, but isn't that so true that, that that probably was what I should have given in the first place? I mean, does that not happen in our finances in a lot of ways? You think you have money left over. You think you save it up. You want to save this amount. And then it goes to the air conditioning goes out or the heater goes out or this wasn't working or this wasn't or this was more expensive. Oh, you didn't know that bill was coming. I mean... If we just get this right of saying, God, I give to you off the top and you make the rest work out. God, I give this to you first. My first fruits, I give this to you and you allow everything to take place. God, not. And in so many ways, I think we try and play God with our finances. and It's one of the most practical ways that we get into trouble with that. But God goes on to say to Job, He says to Job, the next fill in there on your outline, that he's not obligated to explain himself to us. God is not obligated to explain himself to us. Look at Job 40, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In fact, ultimately, God has his purposes behind what he does, but we can't always comprehend his ways. And what God, I think, is trying to do here is he's trying to get him unstuck from asking why, 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 why. Because we don't always know why. And we weren't, aren't always going to know this side of heaven why things happened. But our response isn't to get stuck on the why. It's to get stuck on or ask the question, what's next? All right, God, I may not know the why, but what's 
next. You know, each of you probably has stories about this. Some are probably bigger than others, examples of this. There's a gentleman who comes to our church. I just want to read an email that I received from him. I knew he went through a loss like this in his life, and he gave me permission to read this to all of you. So let me tell you a little bit about his story. He says, something I rarely talk about outside of my friends is the loss of my oldest daughter, Leah, and the hold that Satan had upon me through this loss. After a malpractice procedure performed by a local doctor and two trying months of worry, she was born dead on October 5th, 1995. That was soon followed by three years of court battles and the doctor filing bankruptcy after we finally settled our case. Now, driven by hate, I could justify my attitude towards the world. As you could suspect, most of the people around me understood even why I felt this way. He said, so many nights went by where I would sit and plan the whole thing out. I would knock on the door, shoot the doctor, and then drive away. The plan seemed fail, uh, foolproof at the time. Was there any other way? The man had killed my child. And what kind of father would I be if I didn't repay? What kind of father would let their child be killed and not avenge? This is a society where you have to be a man. It got to the point that I thought I had to do it to actually prove my self-worth. That was the true burden. The constant thought of this thing that I did not accomplish. Carrying it around with me day after day, month after month, year after year. But then he said, God changed me. He said, didn't happen overnight. He said, just as long as it took for me to become the epitome of hate, I've struggled equally as long to appreciate the severity of where I was headed and how God rescued me from it. The gift of forgiveness is something truly from God. Do any of us honestly think we can obtain true forgiveness on our own? Jesus gave me the okay. I do not need to repay the doctor if I do not want to. I don't have to do what everyone else thinks I should do. I'm different. I'm redeemed. That's the side of the forgiveness trait that we rarely talk about. It's not my burden. If God wants to seek retribution, so be it. But I do not have that right, nor as a loving Christian man do I want it. It's not then about why did my daughter die. It's about why did she live? If even for a second... It was long enough to change my world. Knowing how subtle hate can be and how quickly it can fester, I treat it daily with double doses of undeserving love. God has painted for me a bigger picture of who I am and what he expects from me now as his child. And what this email goes on to say is I have a much bigger perspective of life. I have a much greater perspective of what God is doing in the midst of my world. I don't have all the answers, but I have more perspective. And so that's the second point that I wrote down there is that ultimately perspective is better than answers. Ultimately, perspective is better than answers. In fact, look what Job says. This is back at the beginning of his ordeal in Job one twenty one. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of who? Of the Lord. And that's a famous song many of us have sung, famous words that many of us know. See, we don't choose when we suffer. 
or how we suffer or how long we suffer. The only thing we choose is how we respond when we do suffer. And what Job says is, when he give, whether he gives or whether he takes away, I'll praise him. In fact, look at the things that we get to praise God for. I wrote them up in the box there. What can you praise God for? Job does this. He says that he is a good and loving God. He says that he is an all-powerful God. That he notices every detail of our lives. That he is in ultimate control of life. And that ultimately, he will save me. Now, that's, what, that's one of my prayers for us as First Baptist. That we will have greater perspective on life. That we will have more of God's perspective on life when we are going through these storms of loss. In fact, you know, Pastor Stephen has read a few um, uh, connection cards, communication cards, of praises and such. And we'd like to share those with you. Let me read another one um, from a gal in our church. She wrote this last week. She said, I just wanted to share praise. I received the gift of a job promotion I wanted, and and I wanted to give praise to God um, for that. And that's not the praise, though, in my mind. That, That is a praise for what God did in her life. But listen to her next words. She says, but even if I had not received the promotion, I still would want to give God all the praise. Now, that's maturity. That's looking at life from a bigger perspective. That's saying, God, thank you for the gift. Thank you for the blessing that you promote, uh, the promotion that you gave to me. But even if that did not come about, I would want to give you praise. Which is really where Job comes in on this. See, anyone can praise God when good things are happening. But Job asks in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Shall we not accept the good and no trouble at all? I mean, look at what he says. He says, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? ESV says, and, and, and not evil? I mean, God's in control of it all, and he allows these things to happen. Who are we if we just think he's the Santa Claus God giving us all the good things? Trouble happens in life as well. And so here's the question to ask yourself. It's the, it's the question down at the bottom of the uh, first part of the outline. Am I worshiping the gifts or the giver? Am I worshiping the gifts or the giver? See, in a nutshell, Job's message could be said, will a person continue to worship God even if he loses everything? In fact, make it personal. Will you continue to worship God even if you lose everything? Let me share a little bit more about Rock's story. He says, yes, God is in the miracle business, but sometimes the miracle is not healing. But the grace to see it through and the grace to make your life count right up to the very end. He says, initial devastation after the diagnosis of my daughter was followed by hope, only to be followed by setbacks and then hope once more. This cycle continued for almost four long years. And as she began to confront her mortality, I had to face the validity of my faith. As a believer in Romans 8.28, which talks about God working all things to the good for those who love him and called according to his purpose, as a believer in Romans 8.28, I wanted everything to turn out well so that we could rightly give God all the glory. 
to consider that my daughter Allie would not survive while still giving God all the glory was an extremely difficult concept to accept. Not surprisingly, though, God's grace began to manifest itself. He says, as we so often discover in hindsight, God was there each step of the way for me and my family. He didn't suddenly appear on the scene when the storm of Allie's disease hit. From my earliest years, his gentle nudging and at times forceful pushing taught me I could trust him. Immediately, it was not a deep abiding faith in the early years of my life, yet a relationship grew with the Lord that provided the foundation upon which the storms could not prevail. Please understand, the experience of of the death and particularly that of your child is extremely painful. The tears are very real and the separation deeply felt. However, God's all-sufficient grace is just that. It's all-sufficient in fact, in Romans 8.26, we learn that we cannot find the words. When we cannot find the words to express our pain, the Holy Spirit still intercedes for us and comes and comforts us as well. See, sometimes we can't find the blame. We can't find the reason. We can't find why things take place. And that's the next point that I wrote on the back of the outline. Story of Job. You can't always fix blame. That's what the friends of Job were trying to do. Job's friends coming in, they think that they were providing some good help and some good answer for them, but they were giving them kind of this thought of, Job, it's because you've sinned. Job, it's because you have a lack of faith. But God says in Job 42.7, The Lord said to Eliphaz the Temite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. In other words, they're giving him the wrong answers. They're giving him some bad advice. Job's friends gave him kind of this sense of formulas. In fact, Bildad in Job 8.4 talks about, well, there's a penalty for sin and you're experiencing that. And then it says, and so far as in Job 11, um, 14 and 17 says, you know, Job, you just got to stop sinning. And if you stop sinning, then it'll be fine. Let me read that set of verses. If iniquity is in your hand, Job, put it far away and let not injustice dwell in your tents and your life will be brighter than the noonday its darkness will be like the morning then job come on you got a little sin here give it up get away what they're doing is they're giving him formulas they're saying job come on now come on now if you just do this and do this and do this then things will be fine two plus two plus two equals six get this right and what they're doing is they're painting god into a religion corner God is is not about religion or about formulas that we're supposed to work him over with, but he's about a living, breathing relationship with us. And in that living, breathing relationship, God proves to be a just God. God proves to be a loving God. And that's where Job's story goes. And that's where Job's story ends. And I know this is hard for me to get this all in in one hour, but let me get it to you here. Because the end of the story is this. God is saying, I have great things in store for you. Last fill-in on the back page. I have great things in store for you. And please understand this, First Baptist. That may not always be in this life. 
That may not always be before heaven, which awaits us if we know Jesus is Lord and Savior. Job, though, in his story, he did receive both. In fact, look at how it kind of ends in Job 42. It says uh, 10 and 12, verse 10 and 12. It says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before, and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than even his beginning days. But look at the hope that Job still had in the suffering times. Look at Job 19. When Job was still going through it and the suffering and the pain, it says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that at the end, he will stand on the earth. He's coming back for us. And after my skin, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see who? I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not a other. And then he says this, how my heart yearns within me. I know, I know that there are great things in store for me. God, I know that you have goodness for me. And let me just encourage you, First Baptist, again, that may not be on this side of heaven, but again, it may be. Some of you who are going through suffering, some of you who are going through pain, you know how that hurts. You know, though, you know, though, how God makes himself real to you and speaks even in the midst of that hurt and that pain. In fact, let me read a couple more sections of Rock's story with his daughter, Allie. He writes, it um, was a great comfort when Allie shared that she knew her place was secure with God. That notwithstanding, she wanted desperately to beat the cancer and to live. Yet in the end, she was ready to take the next step to be with her Lord. I watched as Allie came to grips with her mortality and ultimately put her trust in the one who promised to walk with us and if necessary, carry us each step of our journey as found in Psalm 23, verse 4. Her actions deeply impressed on me that it can be true for each of us in our lives as well. And then there's more of the story how Rock and Allie shared a moment of song and praise to the Lord before she stepped into glory. And Rock writes these words, the next day after we had sung together, Allie was called home. Near the end, with family and friends surrounding her, I was able to pray that it was all right for Allie to let go of us and experience the open arms of her Savior, Jesus Christ. Even now, Rock says, as my tears flow, as I write this story, as my tears flow, I continue to proclaim the goodness and the mercy of God. The service of celebration of her life was a testament to her character, her faith, and her influence on others. Just as importantly, it was also a testament to the Lord's provision, his grace, and his mercy in her life. Storms happen, and they will continue to do so. And when they do, what will you do? Your pain will be real, your grief will be deep. I can only offer empathy, a shoulder to cry on, and ears that will listen. They'll help, but there is only one, and that is God, who can heal. He's already traveled our road. He's already walked our footsteps. He is ready and he is able to be there each step of the way on our journey. And Rock ends by saying, how do I know? Because he's doing this for me. He's my Lord and my Savior. He's Jesus Christ.
You know, sometimes there are no words to sum up a message like this. There's no way to kind of put a nice, neat bow on saying, now God bless you and go. An experience, and as you do, know God will be there with you, other than to say, yes, God does promise. He has shown how faithful he is. And so what I want to end with here is just a song that I know many of you are so familiar with, and so many have sung this song, and I pray you will continue to sing this song even when you're going through trying times. It's a song, It Is Well With My Soul. It's a song that was written really out of deep um, loss in the life of a man named Horatio Spatford. He, in the late 1800s, sent his children and his wife overseas as he was waiting and doing some business transactions. And as they were heading to Europe for a time of visiting some good friends and vacation, uh, their ocean liner sank in the middle of the ocean. Just his wife survived the ordeal. And as she was rescued and brought to the country of Wales, she telegraphed her husband back, saying, saved but alone. The only two words that came, saved, alone. As Horatio quickly got on a ship and headed to where his wife was, the captain of the ship that he was now on traveling said, this is the place where the ship went down. And Horatio walked up onto the bow of the shore or bow of the boat, looked out over the ocean, went back to his room, couldn't rest, couldn't sleep, but came to the place of saying in his words, and these are his words, it is well. The will of God be done. And later on wrote this song, It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And so as you hear this song, as you sing this song, as even you hear about the sea billows roll, you can picture a man coming to loss in his life, but looking at life through a different perspective, looking at life through God's perspective and saying, okay, God, you are still here. You are still sovereign. You are still good. And you still have good for us. As we enter into singing that song, as we enter into a time of prayer, would you just bow your heads with me? Would you close your eyes? And um, let's prepare ourselves to, even in the midst of a song of worship and praise, to hear God speak to us. Let's pray. God, I, I do come to the end of a message, really, of feeling like there's more chapters to be written. There's chapters to be written by each of these people in the sanctuary right here. Your, your word speaks to us in Job's loss. Your word gives us examples of things that we don't have to be accountable to, of, of, okay, this bad is coming because of some great sin. This bad is coming because I'm proud. Lord, sometimes evil comes that way, but other times it comes just because life is. And life can be difficult. And storms cannot be avoided. And yet, God, in the midst of that, even as rock is given testimony, your grace is sufficient for us. God, at times that grace comes through people coming around us. At times that grace comes from a a community group that we're experiencing or a, a Sunday school class that we are in. At time, that love and incredible presence comes from an overwhelming sense of your spirit. At time, Lord, it comes from just getting alone with you. And so my prayers are for each of us in this congregation who are walking through these days. Some, Lord, who are in it right now. Some who have been, 
some who will be. And Lord, my prayer is that your spirit would be very strong in our lives. That your spirit would be so involved walking with us through the valley of the shadow of death that we will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are there as we walk with you. Folks, you don't need to hide your pain. You don't need to hide your hurt. God knows. In fact, during this last song, if you'd like to come down here to the front, I'll be down here. Pastor Mike will be here. Others will be here. We can, we can pray with you if you would so choose. If you'd like to come down after the service, you can come down as well. We want to be here just to help in whatever way you would like to express some of that loss and that sorrow, some of that grief. But I pray as well that you will experience it when we sing this song. When we sing the song of a hymn of a man who lost four of his daughters, to be able to stand and say, God, it is well because you are in control. God, it is well because your will be done. God, it is well because you are good. God, it is well with our soul. Lord, thank you. Thank you for allowing us a relationship with you. Thank you for Jesus and his promise to come back. Folks, if there be anybody in here who grieves their loss without a sense of hope, know that Jesus is the one who stepped into that picture. Know that Jesus brings us back into a relationship with God. Even as Job talked about, he again will come and set foot on this earth and we will see him with our eyes. We will experience his great love. We will be reunited with those perhaps we grieve for. If today you do not know Jesus, the way you do is to put your faith in him, to say, God, I I, I pray now to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. I do ask for forgiveness of my sins. I thank you that he went to the cross for me, and today I place my trust in him. You know, again, if today you did that, I'd love and be honored, Pastor Mike would, or at our Next Step Center, for you to share that with us because we want to help you take next steps. And knowing about Jesus, his incredible love for you. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to place our trust in you for what Jesus did for us. And so even now as we sing this song, may your spirit be strong in our lives as we sing those words. It is well, it is well. For it's in the name of Jesus we sing and we continue to offer praise.